Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Style with Shara. I'm your host, wardrobe stylist Shara, and I just want to start off by saying I hope y'all have been doing amazing. I hope y'all have been prospering despite these crazy times that we're still living through. Um, and yeah, I also hope you guys had a bomb Black History Month. Um, I hope that you guys learned a lot. I know personally I did. I just feel like February was definitely testing my gangsta <laughs> across the board. And I feel like I was just definitely, I'm always trying to learn and I'm always trying to remain observant. And I like to say like, I'm a student of life. So I like to always, you know, make sure that I'm constantly evolving and constantly or allowing myself that space to learn new things that I might've thought that I'd known about myself. But I definitely say February, like class was definitely in session for me. Like I was definitely fully <laughs> enrolled as a student of life. Um, something about this past month was just bringing out a lot of personal lessons to the forefront that I needed to learn when it comes to planning ahead of time and just, um, mental strength and just all these different things. And, you know, so I feel like the theme of the month for me was really just like, stay ready. So yes, don't gotta get ready. Cause like what I tell you, like life came at me so fast this month. Um, things that I thought I had figured out and things that I thought were going in one direction, just, just ended up going like a totally different way. So I'll definitely say like, I guess the key for me, um, even making it to March with even like half of my sanity has been just, slowing down and just reflecting more and just going back to the drawing board and just allowing myself patience and just allowing myself grace to figure things out again, even when I thought I had already done that. So that's how my February went personally. But even outside of that, I feel like, y'all, this past month, I feel like I learned so much about black people in our history <laughs> like and that sounds so cliche to say because that's something that I believe just you know that should be like an ongoing thing um so I feel even kind of like corny to even <laughs> say that um because that should just be a part of you know our lifestyle to just constantly learn you know February is not the only time that we should be researching and reading and learning more about our rich rich history but I don't know, like, I was trying to put my finger on what I feel like was different for me this year as far as Black History Month was concerned, because I feel like I really learned a lot more this year than I have in the past few years. Um, and the only thing I could really point it back to was just like feeling like, I don't know, like, all the years before or like, like every year, the same facts, I want to say since like elementary school, like fourth grade or fifth grade, like I've been seeing the same black history facts just repeated over and over and over again in rotation around this time of year, um, which is like ridiculous to me because like I said, our history is so rich and it's so thorough. Um, so it's like I've learned that if you don't do your own research and just like take it upon yourself like as an adult to really educate yourself on black history beyond 
I guess what you see in mainstream media, like you will miss out on so many things, y'all. Like, so, you know, that's what I learned is just to always be fact checking and doing more research on how a lot of things originated. And that's definitely something I should already know. That's how I was brought up. Um, I was always brought up to educate myself and not depend on what the status quo is telling me and that goes for everything, not just black history, but just everything. So that's something that, you know, I was raised with, but something about this year and just some of the things I learned, it really opened my eyes to just how much I still have to learn (laughs) about my history and how much of it has, I guess you could say, has been left out, you know, and how much, how much it connects to even experiences that I'm having now today as a young black creative. Um, especially with me pursuing fashion, like so much of what I've learned lately has made me, I guess, I guess the word is like shocked and kind of a little bit embarrassed if I'm honest, you know, that I didn't even know before this. Um, and it just made me raise my eyebrows for a number of reasons. And it made me see how much our history has been, like I said, just swept under the rug. And, you know, I was thinking about how, like, I don't remember what show it was, but it was a while ago, like, I guess like a year and some change ago. I don't remember what show it was, but somebody had did like, they did this experiment of trying to live like a lifestyle that was just based off of supporting black owned products and services. And they came to a conclusion that it would be impossible, you know, right now in our um, climate for businesses or for people to live like a full out life if they wanted to of just supporting black owned products and services. And that's just because we don't dominate enough just yet as far as being owners of businesses within certain markets like automobiles, for example. Um, It's just so many different necessities of life. Um, Like there just aren't enough black owned businesses across the board yet within certain realms that's you know, considered a necessity. So um, it would be really difficult for someone to live a life that is purely black, so to speak. But like this month, after like between doing my own research and just seeing so many people, even like on social media, like some of my friends were sharing random trivia about our history as inventors and innovators, which I was really, you know, proud to see so many people participate in. By the way, like that was dope to me. But just learning all, all those things from one place or another, like it's like I see why. Like we can't live a life just yet of that. And it's not necessarily because we're not participating in some of these markets, but it's because like we are inventing a lot of the products and then they just scratching our names off of it. So, you know, it was making me see it like the masses we wouldn't even attribute certain products and businesses to being something that black people are capable of building because they don't want people to know that they're consulting black people to build it before they even like, before they even mass produce it. Um, Like just for example, and don't laugh at me y'all because I feel like a lot of y'all probably already know this, but I guess I'm late to this one, but I don't know. I personally did not know until this month that or February, I did not know that a black woman was the inventor of the home security system. And, you know, like for some of y'all, I'm sure y'all probably like, girl, where you been at? I've been knew that. But 
it's just like the fact that something like that, like I really don't remember learning that in school, <laughs> like at all. And I feel like that's something that I would, that would stick out to me. Like, I feel like that's something that I would definitely remember. Um, that woman, you know, who looks like me created something so crucial to society, like the home security system shifted the way that we protect ourselves. Um, and it shifted the way we protect our assets. So, um, I'm sure if I heard something like that in school, that would have inspired me, you know, to know that a woman of my same descent was being that ahead of the curve and like innovative in that way. But like I said, like that's nothing new for us. So, you know, I'm not saying by any means that that's, that's the name of the game for us. Like that's what we do. We come into a space and we just make it better. <laughs> we make it more efficient. Um, and we do that from nothing. So, you know, that in that way, I'm not surprised, but I'm just, I guess I'm surprised to see so much that I already didn't know. And, you know, to learn things like that in school about my people, I'm sure that would have, like I said, influenced the way I, I saw us at an early age. Um, because I feel like throughout history, you know, at least how I remember it in school, like we're painted as just victims and like oppressed and you know in school and in history is just like when they tell the story it's just like slavery you know slavery 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 and then like fast forward to Martin Luther King and like that's just how I feel like it's taught to us and you know of course that's not a coincidence and a lot a lot of the facts that I learned I or a lot of the facts that I saw I did know but there were also a lot of them that stood out to me that I was surprised it's not like a commonly taught fact. So it's like, you know, of course, this type of information is not necessarily always common knowledge because they don't want it to be. But I guess I just say that to say overall, I personally, I had a very eye opening Black History Month. These past few weeks, you know, they've been just very even more eye opening for me in terms of our impact as black creatives. And not even just in fashion, but just across all industries. And Really, I guess what's most evident to me right now is our impact. I guess you could say like our impact versus our imprint, you know, so like our our impact and our influence in certain industries versus the credit that we get for it, you know, and that being so lopsided. Um, and that's something that I guess I'll never get used to um, when it comes to people retelling our story and just leaving us out of it, as well as just just the odds that's constantly stacked against us in the industry and just how we fight to make, you know, to make our mark, regardless of everything that goes on behind the scenes to hold us back from being at the forefront of history like we deserve to be. And fashion, as much as people try to belittle it and say it's not important, fashion is literally like a cultural map of all of this. Like it's literally a cultural map of our history and of history period. Like you can, you can examine different eras of fashion and it will literally tell you what's going on with our people during that time. Like we know even just during the world war, how black women, you know, we were actually becoming more prominent in the workforce during that time. So you would see us wearing work uniforms more than ever before. And Really, even during that time, the only time you would really see a lot of women step out and dress more formal during that era was when they would, you know, when they were off of work on Sunday for church. 
you know, and that just goes to each era. You can literally apply that to so many different eras. If you look at the whole 50s and 60s era when the Black Panther movement was picking up traction and we had, you know, some black people, it was like two sided. We had some black people back then who were embracing their African culture. And so they wanted to wear more vibrant, bold African prints. But then we had a lot of the Black Panthers like they wasn't feeling that Um, (laughs) like they felt like all of a sudden us wearing African prints was kind of, I guess you could say like exploiting our culture in a way or commercializing it here in the United States. So the Black Panthers, you know, they developed their own aesthetic of berets and um, black leather and just all black everything, you know, just to try to appear as more of a unit. And like they were a group that was to be taken seriously, you know, so you can literally look at each era, even later on down the line in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, black people, that's when we started to dominate the music in the entertainment worlds. Um, well, financially, we weren't because we was unfortunately still signing our life away and like a lot of the deals we were signing. But culturally, we were dominating in the music and entertainment world. So hip hop was, of course, born throughout this time and people were looking to us, you know, to determine what was hot and what was in, like they still do (laughs) fashion wise. So we started having fun and experimenting with our style more. You know, that's when you would see us play with proportions more and mix baggier pieces with more body conscious pieces, um, mixing all kinds of different styles together, more bulky and dramatic jewelry and just bolder colors and bolder prints. Like that's when women was, we were embracing our sexuality more, like more unapologetically about it. And it wasn't just something you were just seeing on the women on TV anymore. Like this is when um, this was affecting every neighborhood. You know, you were seeing the women wearing shorter skirts, short um, skirts got shorter, dresses got tighter. So You can literally use fashion as a guide to what was going on with us throughout history. And just to know our impact on culture and the world, really, and to just see some of the spaces that we still struggle, like, to be included in and that we struggle to thrive in. I feel like just no matter how much I see it, like, it's going to frustrate me. Um, (laughs) So I was inspired to talk about this for a number of reasons, um... Not just because, you know, Black History Month just passed, but just a lot of things in Black fashion have been happening lately. Um, Like the news of Rihanna's Fenty fashion label, for example, you know, that whole Fenty fashion label being halted, like that made me so sad. Like, I don't know. I was just really feeling a way. Um, And just with the Fenty brand, I guess, specifically being a new luxury label, you know, like it had so much potential and it had only been out for two short years. And then, you know, and then now they're saying that it's halted. So, you know, that just made me question some things like, you know, I always like to look at things for from more than one angle. Um, And I don't have all of the details of it because, you know, there's always things that go on in fashion behind the scenes. But, you know, it made me think like, you know, whether or not it was an actual marketing issue or, if there were some other factors that we don't know about that made them come to this decision, which, like I said, I'm sure there were, but it also just, it just had me thinking, you know, and it made me question whether or not, I guess, whether or not this would have played out the same exact way had it been a white founded new luxury company. And if they would have decided to halt production as soon as they did, you know, because that was a really quick decision, you know, and for those who don't know, the Fancy Fashion Label has some other parent companies who play a big role in decision making for the brand especially with it being like a luxury brand like 
other resources. When you have a, a brand new luxury brand, you need a lot of other resources to make sure a newer brand in the luxury space will thrive just as much as, you know, a brand that's been around for centuries in that space. Because it's a very challenging space to navigate as a newcomer. Um, but, you know, I know on average, though, regardless, it still takes like a lot of clothing businesses. Like it takes them at least 18 to 24 months to see profit, you know. So for Fenty to just just launch like two years ago and just I don't know, just now for them just to announce like, oh, we halting it, like we stopping it already. Like it was just super disheartening, like to watch, you know, like, damn, can y'all let my sis thrive? Um, <laughs> like give her a chance. But I don't know. I like to always look at things from all different angles, you know, and I don't know all the details that led to the decision. So I can't draw full conclusion full conclusions, but it just had me thinking about like what could have went wrong? And, you know, I, I always li- like to, I guess, get everyone else's opinion who follow fashion as well um, and see, you know, what different perspectives people are taking. So I posted it on my story. I posted the article and I shared it and I asked, um, you know, what people were thinking about it. And there were so many different mixed responses. Like some people were saying that it would have been different. They felt like it would have been different if she wasn't a black luxury label in the marketplace. Um, like they felt like they would have been more patient with her when it comes to seeing a profit. Um, and some people were saying that her target audience is just not women who can necessarily afford the Fenty price points. Cause that was a big change. That's not, you know, the price point that we see with her Savage Fenty label. So, you know, it was a lot of mixed responses, but it just had me just considering just how much more challenging it is for black designers to thrive like especially in the luxury fashion space which is the space that we influence so heavily when it comes to not just our buying power but just our aesthetic because the inspiration for a lot of these mainstream luxury collections it comes from us like you know the way that we naturally put things together um in our everyday lives and the way that we um dress on the re- on a regular basis we're we're on these mood boards like even if we're not on that payroll or even, you know, if we're not on that final campaign image, we are definitely on the vision boards. Like our aesthetic is written all over the inspiration for these um, collections that come from these major fashion houses. So to know our influence versus, you know, the way that we're, we have to fight <laughs> to thrive um, in such an industry that is so inspired by us, you know, is always disheartening and discouraging to see. Um But then, like, not even two weeks later, like, to see the Savage Fenty brand reach a $1 billion valuation in lingerie equity, like, that just goes to show, like, one, Rihanna gonna be good forever. (laughs) Like, so, you know, even though it was sad to see um, the Fenty label going on pause, you know, her new success is is a testament to just the importance of just maximizing your gifts and just diversifying your brand and um, just even more than that, just knowing your worth and knowing what your image and your likeness and, you know, your influence as a black creative brings to the table, you know, so that we're able to secure bags as hefty as this one. So that's just something that is so inspiring to watch and to witness. And, you know, I'm glad to see that come out of it, at least to see that, you know, she's still 
going to thrive in the fashion space. And even just just speaking like of our influence, just generally, because I've actually been having some conversations lately, both here on the podcast as well as on my style blog with influencers and, you know, just wanting to get to know more on their perspective of the fashion industry and how they're affected. Um, like I interviewed content creator T. Ray on my style blog and we talked about the benefits of micro-influencing in this economy. Um, and if you tune into my last episode of the podcast, I actually had my friend Tania on as a guest and she is a bomb fashion and beauty micro-influencer. But at this point, like her influence is far from micro um like images of her have been used by huge design companies and sold on an array of just different products so um we talked a little bit about what that's like to experience that as a black up-and-coming public figure you know in the industry and to give you know your likeness or not even to give it but to have brands essentially just knock you off (laughs) and use your images but not always give you the credit for it Because we see that so often now with small businesses and young black creatives. So, you know, if you haven't listened to our episode, definitely go back and listen because it's one of my favorites so far. Like T and I, we talked about everything under the sun. But aspiring influencers, you definitely want to check out that episode. But um, I was really glad that in the episode she shared that that was a lesson that she had to learn, you know, as a young businesswoman, you know, how important it is to know her worth and to have certain legal boxes checked and to prevent herself from being taken advantage of because her influence has reached places that she didn't even think, you know, would be a thing at this point in her career. And those are all things she deserves to get paid for. And I know that's an issue um, and a challenge that a lot of Black influencers face today And it's sickening to watch, you know, Um, like I said, so many of the trends and the aesthetics that these huge fashion retailers adopt as their own, they stem from the black girl, you know, in her apartment with a ring light and some thrifted clothes, you know, who just knows how to take what she has and make it a look, you know, and make it something that everyone wants to be a part of. So to adopt that whole vibe, but just take them out of it, like it's it's always ridiculous to watch how it happens. Um, the other day I was actually scrolling on Twitter and I saw, and I don't know how precise these stats are, but if they're anywhere even close to the truth, it's disgusting. Um, so for those who do influencer work or who follow certain influencers, y'all may have heard of this platform called F you pay me and what they are, they're basically a platform that provides different stats and different, just different analytical data within the influencer world. So recently they reported that out of the influencers who have reported within their database. So people who have participated in their case studies, um, their top highest white influencers are making on average 250,000 on the high end and 12,500 on the low end. And black influencers who report to them are making $1,500 on the high end and $1,000 on the low end. And, you know, a lot of influencers actually quoted the tweet just sharing their personal stories of how, you know, once they gave certain brands their price to work with them, they were told, like, how that rate is impossible. And that's something that they're hands down just not willing to pay them. Um, Only to find out through Twitter or through doing their own research that 
their white competitors were actually were actually paying white influencers double their rates. Um, so like just <laughs> like listening to that out loud is crazy. Um, and I, like I said, I'm sure there are different factors that go into the specific case study um, that FU Pay Me conducted, but even just the extremities of that gap, like that says everything that needs to be said when it comes to our contributions to an industry versus how much we're actually taking home with us in revenue. Um, you know, I was talking to my uncle the other day about this, about how like we always brag about, you know, our buying power as black people, the buy- the buying power that we have. But unfortunately, we don't even reap much from that. You know, that buying power is lining other people's pockets and is building other people's communities, not our own. So, you know, it's something that we that people always put in our face. Like you guys have so much buying power, but as you can see, it's just fueling um racism <laughs> essentially and it's fueling a monopoly that we aren't able to benefit from. And y'all, every time I see this, it just be triggering me like so bad because you know, especially as a young black woman stylist who you know, I personally know that it's it's a fight, project after project, just to get what my worth is um, and to be able to get my hands on certain opportunities that I feel like will take me to the next level. Like, I know firsthand what it's like to be interviewed for certain opportunities and just be, you know, given a yes. And then once they see what I look like, you know, all of a sudden it's all of these details got to be worked out and all of these discrepancies and, you know, the process is taking even longer or it just doesn't happen. Like as a black woman, I live that, you know, as a brown skinned woman, I live that. So I feel like no matter how many times I hear stuff like this, like it doesn't surprise me, but it's just always going to make my eyes twitch a little bit. Cause like, you know, I live what it's like to, to just invest in yourself and to put so much effort and just so much skill and diligence into my craft you know just for the door to just get slammed in your face and then just watch it get open to people who they either do exactly what you do well you know or do an appropriated version of it um and the only difference is they look different than you do so you know it's always just gonna get under my skin because it's a personal struggle and it's important to me and it's something that I want to make sure my brand um never ignores something that I want to make sure I'm always putting on for my people, (laughs) regardless of how big I may get in my career or opportunities I may get. Like I always want to remember and honor, you know, the struggles that we, that we have, because this affects designers, stylists, influencers, models, like all of us at this, at the end of the day, we all have a similar goal. Um, and that's to make our mark and be known for our work in the industry. Um, and to get our credit, you know, and our respectability in it. So, you know, I always feel like every now and then I gotta talk my shit (laughs) on this subject. Um, so bear with me, but I know a lot of y'all feel me when it comes to this subject. And you don't even have to be in fashion to know what I'm talking about. Um, cause you see it as a consumer, even if you're just a consumer of fashion. So yeah, just, especially just on a month like February, where I was just revisiting, you know, even more just the impact we as black creatives have had in every hand of the industry, you know, our heart in 
how all of black creativity was birthed out of things being stolen from us, you know, or us constantly being denied a necessity, like all of it. Like, I really believe that in one way or another, everything that we created was out of a response of us being denied something. Um, and then once we create it, we get our names crossed out. Um, and so that's why, you know, when I think about just so many influential black people in the fashion industry, you know, who you even rarely see even get documented or get these special limited series on these streaming platforms. Like even Eunice Walker Johnson, like if you know me, you know how I feel <laughs> about Eunice and so many young black women don't even know about her and the impact that she had on the fashion industry when really a lot of her strategies actually mirror Rihanna's when it comes to using a brand that she had already built for one thing um, before entering the fashion industry to help push her career and her um, and push her mission forward in fashion um, and being an advocate for racial inclusivity like I always like to say like fashion fair cosmetics which was Eunice's beauty brand that she created really really the first major beauty brand that catered to women of color specifically it was basically the fancy beauty before fancy beauty and she was inclusive of our skin of our textures of our colors like our different range of shades like she was doing this years ago um and rihanna's impact like rihanna's career in a way it reflects and it honors what she does but so many young people don't even know about her and it's really can't even blame them because even when i go to post about her i don't see too many articles i don't see too many um major media outlets giving her her flowers as an innovator in the fashion and beauty industry like i don't see it um even when i go to post about her like that's not even no info past like the little 10 minute clips on YouTube. Like we need a full documentary like ASAP. <laughs> and my mom was telling me like, well, maybe, you know, it's not out because you need to make it like you need to be the one to executive produce it. So I received that. <laughs> so who knows? Maybe I'll be the one to get my good sis Eunice right when it comes to just telling her story and just her legacy. Um, maybe later on down the road in my career, once I do everything I actually want to do in terms of styling. But I'm telling you, like her impact is literally, it's literally unheard of because not enough people within my generation truly know. Um, and I have a full post, a full write up on my style blog dedicated to her. So if y'all want to learn more about her contributions to black fashion, I'll definitely make sure I put the link in the episode notes for y'all. But Eunice, she's just everything to me. She's just like, she's responsible for putting hundreds. When I say hundreds, I mean hundreds of black models and designers on in the industry just by showcasing their work and hiring them for her charity fashion shows um and she as she progressed she wanted to include like so many different designers from different backgrounds but her priority was always us but um of course as you progress she wanted to reach international markets so even when she would go to like fashion shows and presentations just to source clothing for like her shows like they would be trying to kick her out and like have her not sit front row, you know, even though she had more than earned like her place there to be there. 
just by her pioneering work that she was, you know, doing behind the scenes and just by discovering so much untapped talent and so many models and designers and stylists. And luckily she was able to use, um, like she was the co-founder of Ebony Magazine, which her husband, John Johnson, was actually the founder of. Like Ebony is his magazine. He started it and she came up with the name for it, actually. Um so, you know, once people knew she had her hand in such like a major publication, that's when they started trying to act right and just act like they had some sense and let her into these designer shows. But like I said, I have a whole write up on her. I get so passionate when I talk about her because she is just she's my blueprint in a lot of ways when it comes to being like a liaison in the industry and making sure that I put my people on every chance that I get. And, you know, so many Black creatives got their start through her. So our impact has always been there. It's just unfortunately not highlighted until February comes around. So I just wanted to make sure that, you know, in my March content that I speak on it just as a way of just not leaving it behind as a February thing. Um, And just our impact just in fashion, it goes beyond the United States. Like I think sometimes because we were brought here, we think that we don't still influence on an international level. Like when you think about France and how that's a market that like many European designers, they, they're the ones who tend to dominate it. But then we have like Patrick Kelly, who was like the first black designer to have his work featured in the press a porter I feel like I don't say it as good as people who are fluent in French, (laughs) Um, but it's basically an elite category in an archive of French ready-to-wear clothing. So our history extends and it just influences literally so many different markets on an international level. Um, And even Zelda Valdez, who was the creator of the first Playboy costume, like, you know, over the years, we we see the marketing for Playboy be whitewashed. Like, you know, we don't really we haven't really seen too many black Playboy models in their campaigns. Um, and it's crazy because a black woman actually came up with that silhouette that they still use today um, for all of their merch. So, you know, and just to be clear, like I said, none of this is a surprise to me when it comes to our history as creators and as innovators who just know how to create from nothing, because that's just what we do as black people. We realize that we lack resources in a certain area and we create it and we innovate and we make history. But like I said, you know, seeing our effect across different industries, I do feel like I have a responsibility too as a young woman, a young black woman creative too not sweep that under the rug and to make that a part of my brand as well. Especially as the trivia and the facts about our people are about to just stop circulating as much um, and we start to hear less and less about it when uh, Black History Month ends. So yeah, I would just say like, let's continue. Like even beyond February, like as we get into March, just let's keep putting our creators and our innovators in every space and in the black fashion space just to the forefront because these social media platforms and the major media outlets they're definitely not about to do that for us um right now it's very very trendy to do cover stories on black artists and black designers and models and entertainers and business owners and you know it's trendy because we've we've kind of 
we basically done our part of holding brands account- accountable, um, especially this past summer in the light of everything that was going on with George, George Floyd. And we were just so watchful of people that weren't saying anything, certain brands that weren't saying anything. So um, a lot of them are going to do it um, because they feel forced to do it. But, you know, one thing about trends is they don't usually last forever. And a lot of these brands are only, you know, covering us from a performative place or, you know, even from a fearful place. You know, one thing about when someone does something out of fear and not from a genuine place out of respect, you know, it doesn't come off authentically. You know, and that explains why we see some of these questionable covers and campaigns of these beautiful black people, you know, in the public eye with these spreads that lack vision, you know, lack the right hair team to know how to style our our textures, you know, the right stylists, the right photographers that know what lighting highlights our complexions. Like, you know, but that's that's another situation I won't even fully get into on this particular episode. But, you know, again, just to my point, you know, when things are just just done from a place of, you know, see, we do care, you know, please don't cancel us. We care. You know, it's it's always going to give that that here nigga damn <laughs> energy <laughs> like that's just what's going to be reflected in the execution. Um, that's how it's going to come off. So no one no one can support black creatives like black creatives like we just know it's a language, it's a dialect, like it's a whole lifestyle that you really have to, you just have to be a part of it to do it in the way that we do it. Like I know me just as a stylist, you know, as I learn more and more just about the different brands and black creatives that are emerging, like it it just comes so natural to me, you know, just to prioritize plugging them every chance that I get. Like, it's nothing for me to shout shout them out on my mailing list or to feature them in a blog post or on social media or in my work, you know, or here on this podcast. Like, and I and I don't even necessarily I don't need to be sponsored by them to do it either. You know, like there are a few brands that I do have working relationships with. So, of course, I'm gonna shout them out, you know, as amazing black owned brands to support and to be aware of. But You know, if you hear me speak on a brand more often than not, I'm just doing it off the strength of, you know, either I own some of their products that I purchased with my own money and paid full price for and I support. I don't ask black brands for discounts just because we both black, you know, I simply I just I like to support and I like to show I like to put my money where my mouth is and support. You know, I'm not rich, but I definitely don't, I don't like to spare. I like to, if I splurge on a major retailer, mainstream retailer, I'm a splurge on, you know, black brands as well. If I like what they're doing. Um, Or, you know, sometimes I just simply just admire some of them from afar. Um, I admire what they're doing and how they do it. And I just want other people to know about what they're doing as well, you know. So it's definitely still on us to prioritize celebrating our own. And I feel like personally, like, I think it's a badge of honor to wear the looks of Black-owned brands and designers, especially those within the Black luxury marketplace, because that's not a space we're expected to dominate in. Like, luxury goods usually dominate um, 
due to a certain level of exclusivity. You know, when we think of Birkin bags, for example, we think of how sought after they are, you know, how there's this whole waiting list that you can be stuck on for years just trying to finally be able to say, oh, I have a Birkin bag. So creating that level of exclusivity is usually the way to go um, of, you know, you can't have this. You got to wait to get yours and having people play along and follow suit just off the strength of the materials you use and the perceived value or the perceived quality. Um, and in some cases, it's not even, you know, just it's not even the quality because the realty is like some of these quote unquote luxury brands, they actually use the same exact manufacturers and the same materials that other more affordable brands use. They just put their name and their logo on it. You know, they slap their logo on it and it's a hit um, and people are willing to pay thousands of dollars for it. So, yeah, a lot of times you're not even paying for quality. <laughs> a lot of times it's just the brand, you know, and the hype that you created behind a movement that makes people feel like, oh, it's, it's exclusive, it's different, you know, it's special, it's not accessible to everyone. You know, these those are the type of behaviors that tend to win in the luxury marketplace. So, you know, to see these newer luxury brands with black founders and designers and owners, you know, just come into the marketplace and just be able to organically match that and become today's competitors of like fashion houses that's been around for centuries. Like that's something to be proud of, um, to be a part of, you know, as a black creative or just even as a black consumer or even to the opposite of that as well, you know, to lead. Some of these brands are leading with the whole concept of redefining luxury, like I talk about, and like this whole concept of luxury being something that's more inclusive and that should be accessible and affordable to everyone you know which is exactly that's exactly what brands like Telfar and Brandon Blackwood are doing you know um to come into a market and then change the whole concept of what that market has been known for all throughout history you know that's what I mean when I talk about redefining something and even that is something that black creatives should be so proud to be a part of you know when I when I was a little girl I would play in my mom's closet and I would put her Louis bags over my shoulder <laughs> and you know you know I would always just I would just be looking in the mirror and I was just so obsessed with I love browns and tans and neutrals anyway so I was just so obsessed with like the color scheme of Louis bags and I remember being just so obsessed with that print and how expensive the bag looks to me and just being like yup when I get older you know I want one like but now today like we have we have so many other black luxury designers creating that same culture like that same um thing that we want to be a part of that we aspire to but they're also making us feel included, you know, on a whole nother level like that we have not seen in the luxury market before. My little sister, she treated herself to a Brandon Blackwood tote bag. She got one before I got one. Um, she has the beige one, the ESR tote that says in systemic racism on the front. And I'm just like, yes, like, you know, young people are walking around. They're walking around repping Telfar like it's a dynasty, like, you know, and in a sense, it it kind of it really is, you know. These are designers who have taken an elitist industry, you know, and said, you know, there's not just one way to be considered luxurious. You can also get people to invest in your product without making them feel like they can't be a part of it, you know, until they get on this certain level. Like Brandon, he has bags that range from 
um, I don't know, like, I think $98 is like his starting point, And then they go all the way up to $8,500. Like that's called luxury with inclusion. And also like, do, like that's even hard to pull off. Like, do you know how hard it is to get someone to, to shop their affordable goods and their luxury goods from the same source? Um, like that's a big deal. Like even when you think about that impact, like there are designer labels that have been around for centuries and still haven't been able to pull that off. Um, and they tend to shy away from it because there's a certain fear that, um, consumers will begin to question the quality or the integrity of the brand if the price points aren't consistent. But all I know is when I went to go check them $8,500 bags on burningblackwood.com, they say sold out. So to be able to pull that off as a relatively new designer in the luxury space, you know, who doesn't have a huge backing from a corporation or, you know, a long established fashion house, like that's the epitome of black excellence to me. So like I said, it's an honor to wear designers, you know, designs made by black creatives and to get looks created by black stylists like and just make sure that black models are included I just truly feel like our sense of creativity is unmatched like what we bring to creative projects is different like because we literally come from a history of people who still manage to create when there is literally nothing left for us when everything is taken from us we innovate and we get our name scratched off the original and we do it again and again so yeah I definitely just want to encourage you guys like I said even as we go into March let's keep this momentum going like celebrating our contributions to the fashion space and to any space really that should just be an ongoing thing it should be a lifestyle and Lately, so many of my favorite Black-owned brands have just been showing up and showing out. Like, I don't know if you guys have heard of Kendall Miles Designs, but Kendall, she is a bomb luxury footwear designer who just makes, she makes almost every type of shoe that you can think of. Um, like, she has something for everybody. And she also just recently added some amazing accessories. Like, I'm in love with her clutches. So if you're looking for a new luxury shoe or bag, and these are not sponsors, by the way. These are just brands that I'm plugging because I love. Um, <laughs> so definitely check her out. I know some of you guys, I know a lot of you guys probably saw Pierre Moss's campaign for Valentine's Day. Like, genius. Of course, Romeo Hunt. A lot of people, I'm surprised a lot of people don't know of Romeo Hunt. I feel like they know his work, but they may not be as familiar with the brand as a whole. Like you guys have seen it, but might not be might not know it's him. Um, but he's definitely one of my faves right now when it comes to outerwear. Like he mixes the way he mixes textures is crazy to me. A lot of you probably have seen Sweetie's look that she wore by him. It's like the tan she wore from Milan Fashion Week. It's like the tan and white. It's like a marble print for a coat that she wore with like some white shades. And she did like a photo shoot with like a magazine. Yeah, that coat was by him. And he's like one of my favorite outerwear designers right now. Um, And that was actually one of my favorite sweetie looks that I've seen so far. And she got, y'all know she got looks on looks on looks. But that's hands down definitely just one of my favorites. And of course... <laughs> I cannot leave out my favorite ready-to-wear designer of the moment. If you know me, you know I loves me some Sergio Hudson. 
And, you know, if the name doesn't ring a bell, a lot of you guys may have actually just gotten hip to Sergio's work when Michelle Obama wore that all burgundy look by him to the inaugural. But um, I was talking about this on my blog, actually. Like, I truly feel like in my heart, like before that Michelle Obama moment, Sergio, he he was one of the most slept on designers of our time, if you ask me. Like, Sergio is a gem. And it's like, if you follow fashion, if you follow black fashion, it's like, if you know, you know. But also, if you don't know, you need to know. Like, Sergio, he just drops an amazing collection for spring 2021. And it's super vibrant. Um, It's full of, like, these amazing bold colors and oversized blazers and sexy wide leg jumpsuits like Sergio is one of the few designers I feel like who is keeping that whole like Diana Ross mahogany aesthetic alive like all the style icons of like the 70s and the 80s like he's keeping that entire glam opulent aesthetic alive like and if you know my style when it comes to like my editorial work you know that's right up my alley so Sergio is definitely one of my biggest influences right now like he has my heart um, and I actually, I have a whole black luxury designer directory that I created this past month, just covering a few, just a few, it's so many of them, but just a few of my favorite designers in the luxury industry right now. Um, some that you guys may know already and some that you might not know. Um, you can catch that on my style blog, the walking art blog, and I'll definitely make sure I plug that in the episode notes for those of you who want to check it out. But yeah, like I said, let's just definitely keep the momentum up of supporting our own and just also in addition to that just brands in general who make our beauty um make sure they make sure that our beauty is represented and just celebrated beyond the token black girl you know in the campaigns actually in the next episode I'm actually going to be interviewing an amazing designer and artist by the name of Hannah Jane and uh, Hannah's like her whole branding is proof that like being black is not not being black is not an excuse (laughs) like her whole branding is proof that you do not necessarily have to be a black creative to make sure that your brand celebrates and embraces black beauty like her imagery for her designs um it embraces and features people just of all different type of skin tones hair textures just different facial features etc so Definitely stay tuned for the next episode where I, I'm going to be interviewing Hannah on just how she started as a designer and all of the things that her brand represents. But yeah, that's all I got for y'all this week. Um, I hope y'all enjoyed this rant, this very black rant. <laughs> um, I hope that you guys got something out of this episode. Um, if you like what you're hearing so far in the past few episodes, make sure that you leave me a review and that you rate it. Um, make sure that you're subscribed so that you don't miss an episode. And I will talk to you guys soon.